0: STAVE THREE OF A CHRISTMAS CAROL CONDENSED BY THE AUTHOR FOR HIS DRAMATIC READINGS IN AMERICA BY CHARLES DICKENS THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. YOUR READER MICHAEL ARMENTA STAVE THREE THE SECOND OF THE THREE SPIRITS Scrooge awoke in his own bedroom. There was no doubt about that. But it and his own adjoining sitting-room into which he shuffled in his slippers attracted by a great light there had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked like a perfect grove. The leaves of holly, mistletoe and ivy reflected back the light as if so many little mirrors had been scattered there and such a mighty blaze went roaring up the chimney as that petrifaction of a hearth had never known in scrooge's time or marley's or for many and many a winter's season gone heaped upon the floor to form a kind of throne were turkeys geese game brawn great joints of meat sucking pigs long wreaths of sausages mince pies plum puddings barrels of oysters, red-hot chestnuts, cherry-cheeked apples, juicy oranges, luscious pears, immense twelve cakes, and great bowls of punch. In easy state upon this couch there sat a giant, glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch in shape not unlike Plenty's horn, and who raised it high to shed its light on Scrooge, as he came peeping round the door come in come in and know me better man i am the ghost of christmas present look upon me you have never seen the like of me before never have never walked forth with the younger members of my family meaning For I am very young. My elder brothers born in these later years? Pursued the phantom. I don't think I have. I am afraid I have not. Have you had many brothers, spirit? More than eighteen hundred. A tremendous family to provide for, spirit. Conduct me where you will. I went forth last night on compulsion, and I learnt a lesson which is working now. To-night, if you have aught to teach me, let me mm, profit by it. Touch my robe. Scrooge did as he was told, and held it fast. The room and its contents all vanished instantly and they stood in the city streets upon a snowy christmas morning scrooge and the ghost passed on invisible straight to scrooge's clerks and on the threshold of the door the spirit smiled and stopped to bless bob cratchit's dwelling with the sprinklings of his torch think of that bob had but fifteen bob a week himself he pocketed on Saturdays but fifteen copies of his Christian name. And yet the ghost of Christmas present blessed his four-roomed house. Then up rose Mrs. Cratchit, Cratchit's wife, dressed out but poorly in a twice-turned gown, but brave in ribbons, which are cheap and make a goodly show for sixpence. And she laid the cloth assisted by belinda cratchit second of her daughters also brave in ribbons while master peter cratchit plunged a fork into the saucepan of potatoes and getting the corners of his monstrous shirt-collar bobs private property conferred upon his son and heir (laughs) in honour of the day into his mouth rejoiced to find himself so gallantly attired and yearned to show his linen in the fashionable parks and now two smaller cratchits boy and girl came tearing in screaming that outside the baker's they had smelt the goose and known it for their own (laughs) and basking in luxurious thoughts of sage and onion these young cratchits danced about the table and exalted master peter cratchit to the skies while he not proud although his collars nearly choked him blew the fire until the slow potatoes bubbling up knocked loudly at the saucepan lid to be let out and peeled what has ever got your precious father then said mrs cratchit and your brother tiny tim and martha weren't as late last christmas day by half an hour "'Here's Martha, mother,' said a girl, appearing as she spoke. "'Here's Martha, mother,' cried the two young Cratchits. "'Hurrah! They're such a goose, Martha!' "'Why, bless your heart alive, my dear, how late you are!' said Mrs. Cratchit, kissing her a dozen times and taking off her shawl and bonnet for her. "'We'd a deal of work to finish up last night,' replied the girl and had to clear away this morning mother well never mind so long as you are come said mrs cratchit sit ye down before the fire my dear and have a warm (laughs) lord bless ye no no there's father coming cried the two young cratchits who were everywhere at once hide martha hide so martha hid herself and in came little bob the father With at least three feet of comforter exclusive of the fringe hanging down before him and his threadbare clothes darned up and brushed to look seasonable and Tiny Tim upon his shoulder alas for Tiny Tim he bore a little crutch and had his limbs supported by an iron frame why where's our martha cried bob cratchit looking around not coming said mrs cratchit not coming said bob with a sudden declension in his high spirits for he had been tim's blood-horse all the way from church and had come home rampant not coming upon christmas day martha didn't like to see him disappointed if it were only in joke so she came out prematurely from behind the closet door and ran into his arms, while the two young Cratchits hustled Tiny Tim and bore him off into the wash-house, that he might hear the pudding singing in the copper. "'And how did little Tim behave?' asked Mrs. Cratchit, when she had rallied Bob on his credulity, and Bob had hugged his daughter to his heart's content. "'As good as gold,' said Bob. "'And better.' Somehow he gets thoughtful, sitting by himself so much, and thinks the strangest things you ever heard. He told me, coming home, that he hoped the people saw him in the church, because he was a cripple, and it might be pleasant to them to remember, upon Christmas Day, who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. Bob's voice was tremulous when he told them this and trembled more when he said that tiny tim was growing strong and hearty his active little crutch was heard upon the floor and back came tiny tim before another word was spoken escorted by his brother and sister to his stool beside the fire and while bob turning up his cuffs (laughs) as if poor fellow they were capable of being made more (laughs) shabby. compounded some hot mixture in a jug with gin and lemons, and stirred it round and round and put it on the hop to simmer. Master Peter and the two ubiquitous young Cratchits went to fetch the goose, with which they soon returned in high procession. Mrs. Cratchit made the gravy, ready beforehand in a little saucepan, hissing hot master peter mashed the potatoes with incredible vigour miss belinda sweetened up the apple-sauce martha dusted the hot plates bob took tiny tim beside him in a tiny corner at the table the two young cratchits set chairs for everybody not forgetting themselves and mounting guard upon their posts crammed spoons into their mouths lest they should shriek for goose before their turn came to be helped at last the dishes were set on and grace was said it was succeeded by a breathless pause as mrs cratchit looking slowly all along the carving-knife prepared to plunge it in the breast but when she did and when the long-expected gush of stuffing issued forth one murmur of delight rose all round the board and even tiny tim excited by the two young cratchits Beat on the table with the handle of his knife, and feebly cried, Hurrah! There never was such a goose. Bob said he didn't believe there ever was such a goose cooked. Its tenderness and flavor, size, and cheapness were the themes of universal admiration. Eked out by applesauce and mashed potatoes, it was a sufficient dinner for the whole family indeed as mrs cratchit said with great delight surveying one small atom of a bone upon the dish they hadn't ate it all at last (laughs) yet every one had had enough and the youngest cratchits in particular were steeped in sage and onion to the eyebrows but now the plates being changed by miss belinda mrs cratchit left the room alone <laughs> too nervous to bear witnesses <laughs> to take the pudding up and bring it in suppose it should not be done enough <laughs> suppose it should break in turning out suppose somebody should have got over the wall of the back yard and stolen it while they were merry with a goose a supposition at which the two young cratchits became livid all sorts of horrors were supposed hallo a great deal of steam the pudding was out of the copper a smell like a washing day <laughs> that was the cloth a smell like an eating-house and a pastry-cook's next door to each other <laughs> We're the laundresses next door to that <laughs> that was the pudding in half a minute mrs cratchit entered <laughs> flushed but smiling proudly with the pudding, <laughs> like a speckled cannon-ball, <laughs> so hard and firm, blazing in half of half a quarter of ignited brandy, and bedight with Christmas holly stuck into the top. Oh, a wonderful pudding! Bob Cratchit said, and calmly, too, that he regarded it as the greatest success achieved by Mrs. Cratchit since their marriage. <laughs> Mrs. Cratchit said that now the weight was off her mind. (laughs) She would confess that she had had her doubts about the quantity of flour. (laughs) Everybody had something to say about it, but nobody said or thought it was at all a small pudding for a large family. (laughs) Any Cratchit would have blushed to hint at such a thing. At last the dinner was all done. The cloth was cleared, the hearth swept, and the fire made up. The compound in the jug being tasted and considered perfect, apples and oranges were put upon the table and a shovelful of chestnuts on the fire. Then all the Cratchit family drew round the hearth in what bob Cratchit called a circle, and at bob Cratchit's elbow stood the family display of glass two tumblers and a custard cup without a handle these held the hot stuff from the jug however as well as golden goblets would have done and bob served it out with beaming looks while the chestnuts on the fire sputtered and crackled noisily then bob proposed a merry christmas to us all my dears god bless us which all the family re-echoed. "'God bless us, every one,' said Tiny Tim, the last of all. He sat very close to his father's side, upon his little stool. Bob held his withered little hand in his, as if he loved the child and wished to keep him by his side, and dreaded that he might be taken from him. Scrooge raised his head speedily on hearing his own name mr Scrooge said bob i'll give you mr Scrooge the founder of the feast the founder of the feast indeed cried mrs Cratchit reddening i wish i had him here i'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon and i hope he'd have a good appetite for it my dear said bob the children Christmas Day, it should be Christmas Day, I am sure said she, on which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, hard, unfeeling man is Mr. Scrooge, you know he is Robert, nobody knows it better than you do, poor fellow, my dear was Bob's mild answer, Christmas day, I'll drink his health for your sake, and the days said mrs cratchit not for his long life to him a merry christmas and a happy new year he'll be very merry and very happy i have no doubt the children drank the toast after her it was the first of their proceedings which had no heartiness in it tiny tim drank it last of all but he didn't care tuppence for it (laughs) Scrooge was the ogre of the family the mention of his name cast a dark shadow on the party which was not dispelled for full five minutes after it had passed away they were ten times merrier than before from the mere relief of scrooge the baleful (laughs) being done with bob cratchit told them how he had a situation in his eye for master peter which would bring in if obtained full five-and-sixpence weekly (laughs) the two young cratchits laughed tremendously at the idea of peter's being a man of business (laughs) and peter himself looked thoughtfully at the fire from between his collars as if he were deliberating what particular investments he should favour when he came into the receipt of that bewildering income martha who was a poor apprentice at a milliner's then told him what kind of work she had to do and how many hours she worked at a stretch and how she meant to lie abed to-morrow morning for a good long rest to-morrow being a holiday she passed at home also how she had seen a countess and a lord some days before and how the lord was much about as tall as peter <laughs> at which peter pulled up his collar so high that you couldn't have seen his head if you had been there all this time the chestnuts and the jug went round and round and by and by they had a song about a lost child travelling in the snow from tiny tim who had a plaintive little voice and sang it very well indeed there was nothing of high mark in this They were not a handsome family, they were not well-dressed, their shoes were far from being waterproof, their clothes were scanty, and Peter might have known, and very likely did, the inside of a pawnbroker's. But they were happy, grateful, pleased with one another, and contented with the time. And when they faded and looked happier yet in the bright sprinklings of the spirit's torch at parting, Scrooge had his eye upon them, and especially on Tiny Tim, until the last. It was a great surprise to Scrooge, as this scene vanished, to hear a hearty laugh. It was a much greater surprise to Scrooge to recognize it as his own nephew's and to find himself in a bright, dry, gleaming room, with the spirit standing, smiling by his side, and looking at that same nephew. It is a fair, even-handed, noble adjustment of things that while there is infection in disease and sorrow, there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humour. When Scrooge's nephew laughed, scrooge's niece by marriage laughed as heartily as he and their assembled friends being not a bit behindhand laughed out lustily he said that christmas was a humbug (laughs) as i live cried scrooge's nephew he believed it too more shame for him fred said scrooge's niece indignantly (laughs) bless those women (laughs) they never do anything by halves they are always in earnest (laughs) she was very pretty exceedingly pretty with a dimpled (laughs) surprised-looking capital face a ripe little mouth that seemed made to be kissed (laughs) as no doubt it was all kinds of good little dots about her chin that melted into one another when she laughed and the sunniest pair of eyes you ever saw in any little creature's head altogether she was what you had called (laughs) provoking (laughs) but satisfactory too oh perfectly satisfactory he's a comical old fellow said scrooge's nephew that's the truth and not so pleasant as he might be however his offences carry their own punishment and i have nothing to say against him who suffers by his ill whims himself always here he takes it into his head to dislike us and he won't come and dine with us what's the consequence (laughs) he don't lose much of a dinner indeed. I think he loses a very good dinner," interrupted Scrooge's niece. Everybody else said the same, and they must be allowed to have been competent judges, because they had just had dinner, and, with the dessert upon the table, were clustered round the fire by lamplight. Well, I'm very glad to hear it," said Scrooge's nephew because i haven't any great faith in these young housekeepers (laughs) what do you say topper topper clearly had his eye on one of scrooge's niece's sisters for he answered that a bachelor was a wretched outcast who had no right to express an opinion on the subject whereat scrooge's niece's sister the plump one with the lace tucker not the one with the roses blushed after tea they had some music for they were a musical family and knew what they were about when they sung a glee or catch i can assure you especially topper <laughs> who could growl away in the bass like a good one and never swell the large veins in his forehead or get red in the face over it but they didn't devote the whole evening to music after a while they played at forfeits for it is good to be children sometimes and never better than at christmas when its mighty founder was a child himself there was first a game at blind man's buff though (laughs) and i no more believe topper was really blinded than i believe he had eyes in his boots (laughs) because the way in which he went after that plump sister in the lace tucker was an outrage on the credulity of human nature knocking down the fire-irons tumbling over the chairs bumping up against the piano (laughs) smothering himself among the curtains (laughs) wherever she went there went he he always knew where the plump sister was you wouldn't catch anybody else if you had fallen up against him as some of them did (laughs) and stood there (laughs) he would have made a feint of endeavouring to seize you which would have been an affront to your understanding, (laughs) and would have instantly have sidled off in the direction of the plump sister. "'Here's a new game,' said Scrooge. "'One half-hour, spirit, only one.' It was a game called Yes and No, where Scrooge's nephew had to think of something, and the rest must find out what, he only answering to their questions Yes or No, as the case was. The fire of questioning to which he was exposed elicited from him that he was thinking of an animal, a live animal, rather a disagreeable animal, a savage animal, an animal that growled and grunted sometimes, and talked sometimes, and lived in London, and walked about the streets, and wasn't made a show of, and wasn't led by anybody and didn't live in a menagerie (laughs) and was never killed in a market and was not a horse or an ass or a cow or a bull or a tiger or a dog or a pig or a cat or a bear (laughs) at every new question put to him this nephew burst into a fresh roar of laughter and was so inexpressibly tickled that he was obliged to get up off the sofa and stamp at last the plump sister cried out i found it out i know what it is fred i know what it is what is it cried fred it's your uncle scrooge which it certainly was admiration was the universal sentiment though some objected that the reply to is it a bear ought to have been yes <laughs> Uncle Scrooge had imperceptibly become so gay and light of heart that he would have drank to the unconscious company in an un- inaudible speech. But the whole scene passed off in the breath, of the last words spoken by his nephew, and he and the spirit were again upon their travels. Much they saw, and far they went, and many homes they visited, but always with a happy end the spirit stood beside sick-beds and they were cheerful on foreign lands and they were close at home by struggling men and they were patient in their greater hope by poverty and it was rich in almshouse hospital and jail in miseries every refuge where vain man in his little brief authority had not made fast the door and barred the spirit out, he left his blessing and taught Scrooge his precepts. Suddenly, as they stood together in an open place, the bell struck twelve. Scrooge looked about him for the ghost and saw it no more. As the last stroke ceased to vibrate, he remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley, And lifting up his eyes beheld a solemn phantom, draped and hooded, coming like a mist along the ground towards him of Stave three This recording is in the public domain